Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Speaking of which, where would you like to uh, venture? Well, I, um, I think it'd be good to just start from the beginning. If I could just tell my story as I discovered things. Okay. Yeah, please. Does that work for you? Yeah, that's good. Okay. I'm all about so, biography. Yeah. So I was born, uh, premature, very premature. I was one pound, six ounces. Yeah. How, um, how, in, how far into the uh, pregnancy uh, or how far from to, the due date? I want to say 46 weeks. Okay. Um, I should have written that down too. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, my mother had preeclampsia, which I think back then was called toxemia, um, which I think is just high blood pressure. But the way I always understood it is the uh, fetus is like poisoning the body. And so the body is like, we need to get this out. And so even though I was that far along, I still actually hadn't developed as far as you normally would, which is why I was so small. So like I, they had to deliver me by C-section or both me and my mother would have died. And my cat. <laughs> um, and so when I was born, my lungs were underdeveloped. I was underdeveloped. I had to be in an incubator for two months. And I was born with ambiguous genitalia, but I didn't know that for quite a while. Um, and I considered the miracle baby in my family because they thought there was no way I would even survive. They didn't know if I would live for how long, whether if I did live, I would be you know, disabled or cognitively impaired. They had no idea. And I was delayed in like a lot of different areas of development. I needed physical therapy. I needed speech therapy. Um, I had seizures up until I was 11 or 12 years old. Anytime I, I had them a lot when I was really young, but up until like eight, 10, nine, that area, I'd only have them if I was injured. So like I fell in gym class once and hit my head and I had a seizure from that. Um, and are these like very and, intense or kind of mild seizures? They were um, clonic tonic seizures. So like the, the what used to be called grand mal seizures. Those are the biggest ones you can have where your upper body is seized and your legs are kicking. And, you know, they're the dramatic seizures you see in movies. Um, I am... Luckily, very pleased to say I do not have epilepsy. I have not had a seizure since I was about 11. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I have all of my cognitive abilities and I have some mental health issues, which actually studies have found premature infants are more likely to have anxiety and depression. So who knows what else? It's really kind of an unknown field of study. We look at them when they're first born and how do we take care of them? And then I don't know if there's been many longitudinal studies to say what, hmm. what goes from there. But that that's like a big 
core to me because anytime I'm going through anything in my life, it's just like, thank God I'm even alive, you know, or thank, thank the gods or whoever you want to mm-hmm. thank because, uh, yeah, I was, I was incredibly lucky. I mean, nowadays we see infants much smaller than that who make it through much worse situations, but I was born in 1990 and that's, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the reason why I say that is because it has an impact on my disorder and my development. Um, what I know now, I didn't know this until this year, actually. I talked to my aunt because no one in my family told me I had a disorder of sexual development. I didn't know. Um, and I asked my aunt and I was like, did they, did they say anything about me when I was born? She's like, you know, they did. I don't know what it was called. Um, and what she told me is at some point my parents were running me to doctors, all kinds of doctors, because they were running me to doctors for everything. And one doctor said that there was something I needed to get cut off down there. And my parents absolutely refused because I'd been through so much. The idea of putting me through surgery at such a young age. How old is this? Preteen? I don't know how old I would have been. A Uh, child? Definitely. Pubescent, prepubescent. Infant, probably oh, infant. Okay. 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 Um the way my aunt described it, very young, probably under five at least. Oh, hello, kitty, come on. Let's go over here. Um so I'm lucky because for most people born with my type of condition at that age, they uh would have received surgery. So I I kind of think the condition that I was born in for sparing me that because I was so, um, I tried to run him out of his energy this morning and I guess it didn't work. It's he gets fine. jealous. Yeah. Just the, it's a, it's a nice addition to the podcast. We, we welcome cats. He's mad. The birds left. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it for, sparing me that because I think if I had been born without those health conditions and without those concerns and without such delicacy, then maybe I would have had surgery. Um, and so that shapes everything for me because Hmm. when I got older, uh, when I was like a teenager, you know, unfortunately, like many teenagers, I found pornography much younger than I should have. And, um, I I would see women and then see myself and I would know there's something different down there. I don't look like a boy, but also I don't look like girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sorry, we, sorry to get physical, sure, sure. but how did your yes, yes, puberty no, no, no. proceed then? Oh, of course. So I had a normal puberty. Um I normal in which direction? Just female. Good question. Female. Um, I had my period at age 12, 11, 12. I don't mind talking about the details, by the way. I'm just trying to remember everything that I, I want to say. Yeah. Um, I had my period. I, I would say some of my development was a little bit different. Like my breasts didn't fully grow at that age. Um, I was short. In fact, I think now my height is actually a symptom of my DSD. Um, I'm only four foot ten, 
I never grew after like age 13. And what I've since learned is that higher androgens can cause you to stop growing in height. They like cause your bones to, I think the right word is fuse early. Mm -hmm. So you don't continue to grow. I Oddly enough, you'd think men are taller, but um, I'm not sure. There's no way for me to know for sure if that's my height, why, why I'm short. No one else in my family is short like I am. They just assumed, well, it was because you're a preemie. Yeah. Everything about you is small. Hmm. Um, the micro machine of humans. Yes. Lots of power <laughs> packed in a small, small package. Um, but okay. This is a, this is a kind of a, I don't know if confusing is the right way, but it's very complex. So you have a period, but you have yeah. androgens in your system. So your gonads are, do you, I have do ovaries. Know? Okay, you have ovaries. As as far as I am aware, I have ovaries. Okay. Um, as far as I'm aware, I don't even know if I had high androgens as a teen. There's no way to know since I didn't have any blood work done then. That was what my doctor who diagnosed me pre- uh, guessed yeah. that. Well, it's probably why you're short too. You know, it's one of those things where if only humans were like trees and we could look at our blood work over. Our whole lifespan, that'd be so fascinating, right? But we can only look at right here and right now. So even uh, 10 years ago when I got diagnosed, my hormones were different than they are now. And if I got my hormone levels checked now, they'd say, well, there's not really anything wrong with you, but I'm also on birth control, so that can change it. Um, So I'll get into the nitty gritty details of it. The biggest difference is I had, I was born with clitoromegaly which is an enlargement of the clitoris. And um, you can even see it in my baby pictures. Um, I mean, it doesn't look like I have a penis, but you know, that's, that's not how baby girls are supposed to look. (laughs) And I know I saw my baby pictures as a kid. And I think it's one of the weird experiences that's unique to people who are growing up with a DSD with a genital ambiguity is unless you're told, you don't really know there's anything wrong with you. You're just like, yeah, that's how I look. And well, until you start seeing other people, you don't even realize that's yeah. not how people look. Yeah. You know, it's a little uh, weird. Yeah. The, I guess the, I don't want to get into the linguistic uh, weeds, but it's not even that there's something wrong with you. It's difference, oh. right? It's I mean, just difference. Unless the part that's enlarged is getting in the way of, I don't know, walking through <laughs> right. a very packed um grocery store or something like that you know like yeah yeah and um yeah it's just a difference really um but as a teenager not knowing what was going on there was really i don't like overusing this word so i will just state that plainly because i think it should be used appropriately but it was traumatic um i i think that is an accurate way to say it because I didn't know how to ask questions about why I was different. And can I can I talk in detail about yeah. my difference? Just because I, I think if I don't, then people won't really know what I'm talking about. And, it, and it's just better to get an idea. So a clitoris is normally one centimeter long. And I am four times that size. Which um, there's like this, four there's meters this joke. if we do the... Uh... Four, four centimeters. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
Um, there, there's this joke that was created as a protest by, I will say, intersex activists, because that's what they were in the 90s. It's called the fallow meter. And it's this ruler that says, under this length, it's a clitoris. Over this length, it's a penis. Between this length, cut here. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm in that mm-hmm. in-between area where, you know, it's, it's not the standard element of a clitoris. It's not the standard length of a penis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm female. It's a clitoris. It's just a little different. And the, had you been surgically altered that, um, I guess the clitoris is erectile, uh, very tightly nerve-packed erectile tissue. And that if you would have been surgically altered, that would have been damaged. I I guess it would have been damaged, but would it be still sensitive and um, et cetera? Or does it scar? I have spoken with people who've had those surgeries, and it scars... um, the majority of them have no sexual function from it and no sensation. Okay. Uh, so it's it's not just cosmetic. I mean, we in many countries we condemn the idea of um, female genital mutilation, which is not always a full removal of the clitoris. And I think the doctors who do these surgeries or did these surgeries would like to claim that they're restoring function because now the infant looks like a female. But from my perspective, having grown up with an intact anatomy, I don't want to lose this. This is, Mm -hmm. it's a part of my sexual function. I would, bluntly, I'd have to relearn how to do everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I'm, I will jump, jump ahead and say, I'm happy with myself now. Uh, as I am, but as a teenager, I was so confused and distraught, and I thought I was hideous. I thought I was a freak. Hmm. I wanted to. I, I fantasized about cutting it off mm-hmm. because I didn't know what this was. Why does no one? I mean, I want to cry talking about it because it's so hard to talk about because I didn't understand why no one else looked like me. Um, One of the biggest memories I had was I learned somewhere, I don't know if I was in college or high school, this project that was to share with women the diversity of how vulvas look. You know, there's big labia, there's small labia, there's this, there's that. And it was this online project when the internet was still kind of new and women had posted all these pictures of themselves. Or, no, I think it was the one where she had done uh, molds of women's vulvas and then made clay sculptures out of them. And I was so thrilled. I went on the website to look and none of them looked like me. Hmm. And I just felt so, I don't even have a word for it. It's um, rejected or I don't think rejected, but just, yeah. Unseen. I, I, even today, um, if I want to find people who look like me and this, this leads into things, it's um, either women who have gone on hormones to do that to themselves, or they've been on steroids for weight training or trans men. Um, but even then, for the most part, females don't get the kind of development I have unless they are born with a DSD. Um 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't have congenital adrenal hyperplasia. That's not my condition. I'll, I'll get to what my condition is. Okay. Uh, could uh, you just uh, very briefly say what congenital hyperplasia is, female? Is that, a, is that a genetic, is. I guess, is that a genetic? It's a problem? disorder of the adrenal glands that prevents the processing of cortisol in the body. Yeah. And it causes an overabundance of androgens. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I don't know. I'm not the most educated on all of the other DSDs simply because mm. I, There's so I many. don't have them. Yeah, yeah there, there are. There's so many. And I, that's the one thing I'm learning is there's just, there's a lot and I'm not a biologist. <laughs> I know about my body and that's about it. Um, not being able to find people who looked like me was really isolating. And so the internet's growing and very rare people of all sorts are starting to connect. Did you find, did you even have the words to look for intersex? Did you have any knowledge that conditions like this existed? Did you have access to medical records or? I, I did not have access to medical records. And again, at this point in time, my parents told me nothing. I went through puberty and my parents told me nothing. I was a teenager and my parents told me nothing. The only time that I heard anything was, I might've been 17 or 18, or maybe I was in college. I will admit that my memory is very fuzzy, either because of, um, I do have or had a dissociative disorder due to trauma. I did also have a very traumatic childhood growing up. And I don't know if having seizures as an infant impacted my memory at all. Mm -hmm. Really no, no way to know there. So sometimes my, my time scale gets a little fuzzy, but at one point in time, I don't know how the hell it came up, but I was in the car with my dad. I was an older teenager and he just goes, you know, when the doctors were born, they said you were a little different down there, but that would be between you and your husband. And I just pray to God, you can still have kids. And I'm sitting in like, can I, can I cuss on your channel? I'm so sorry. Sure. Yeah. Okay. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and I didn't even know what question to ask. I'm not even sure I said anything. I think I was just like, huh? Because also at this time I was like, I don't want kids. I don't even want to date a man. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Because I also grew up thinking I was a lesbian. Uh, I'm bisexual now, but I thought for a long time I was lesbian. I didn't want to be with men. My father's very homophobic. So hmm. it was not a pleasant experience for me. Um, but to your question, I at some point in time must have learned what intersex was when I was in college. Or I started Googling big clitoris. <laughs> and I found this thing called clitoromegaly. And then I started looking, well, what causes this? All of these different things caused it. Is this what I have? How do I even 
find out what this is. And I didn't even know what doctor to go to or who to see to figure that out. Um, And this was after my sophomore year of college, which at that point in time, I decided to drop out of college. I was dating someone then who would become my future husband, now ex-husband. And the relationship was very important to me. And I was depressed and emotionally upset. And I felt very uh, like college wasn't going to get me anywhere Mm. at that point. So I decided I was going to drop out of college. And that summer, I spent a lot of time on the internet. And my boyfriend actually introduced me to a fetish website. Um, Have you heard of FetLife? I think some of your other interviewers have maybe talked about it. I'm not sure. I know they've talked about how kink has gotten into their Mm -hmm. whole situation. But uh, it's like a social media website for people who are kinky and have fetishes. And I was 20 going on 21. And so I, I, like I said, I thought I was a lesbian, like for a long time in high school and middle school, but I was dating a man because I thought I I can't date women. My dad will execute me and I'll go to hell. Hmm. I can't do that. Okay. Um, so he introduced me to that. And even though I was very sexually shy, I thought maybe if I explore these other avenues, I'll become more sexually open, be more what my partner wants me to be. But on these websites, I started searching for stuff about gender and intersex. And I did meet one intersex person, but for the most part, what I learned about was trans people. And I talked to a lot of trans people and I found uh, trans men and I saw these really gender androgynous females, you know, and I think they meant they were they were trans men, but maybe pre-T and they were just really androgynous. Their hair was short. And I was like, that's what I want. That that's me. That, that like, I want to look like that and not like them on testosterone, just them androgynous, because I think it's important to point out that I had a very controlling type of femininity growing up from my parents. Um, My mother was obsessed with me having long hair my father had very Christian values and ideas about what a woman should be like. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't curse, but my brother could. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents divorced when I was five. And they separated and I go back and forth between their houses. And that's a very long story. We can talk more about that if you want to. But when I lived primarily with my dad at the age of like 12, 13, 14 and older, I was cooking and cleaning the house and um, what I would wear out of the house was judged often. Um, I shaved my head my freshman year of college for St. Baldrick's, which is a charity raise money for cancer mm-hmm. and you donate all your hair. And I loved it. I loved having short hair. It pissed off both my parents. And then I had a pixie cut, you know, which is totally normal for women to have. And my dad said I looked like a lesbian um so just seeing women dressing androgynously and having these short haircuts was like you can do that you're what (laughs) because i 
only knew this really restrictive idea of the femininity that also made me sexualized by men, which made me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I went through that whole tomboy phase when I was like 14 for sitting puberty. All I would wear was like skater cargo shorts and big baggy t-shirts and just hid my body. And my, my parents hated it. Hmm. Oh, they hated it. But I felt so much safer just hiding my body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I saw these things and I started talking to trans people and they started telling me about what gender dysphoria was. And I think people really want to find a panacea. They want to find a cure. They want to find that thing that will fix every problem they have. Um, I had depression. I was cutting since I was 14. I had panic attacks throughout high school. I couldn't go into hallways because the amount of people in the crowds would cause me panic attacks. So I'm I'm glossing over the amount of mental health issues I've had simply because while that's a really big part of my life, it's it's not what I want to talk about right now. And if you want to ask questions, I'm more than open to talking about it. Um, but just suffice to say, like I was a mentally traumatized child from my parents and the divorce and my brother was autistic and I effectively had to raise him. So all older, I'm two years older than him. Okay. So all of these things, I was very lost in my youth, and so I, like I said, I I had a dissociative disorder as well. So I felt very disconnected from my body. I would sometimes not recognize myself in mirrors, and I know now that that's a trauma response where you just don't feel at home in your body, which is also what they say about gender dysphoria. So I met people talking about gender dysphoria and I was like, that's what I have. That's, that's what this is. Maybe, maybe if I do these things, I'll I'll feel better. And trans men have big clitoris. So I'm already like halfway there. I'm clearly not a woman, which, you know, Hmm. that's, that's not how I feel about it now. Um, people females with clitoromegaly are obviously women if they if they want to be women what have you they're female um and it doesn't change me at all that i have a big clitoris but for me at that time in my life it othered me and i i ran into these people that were seemingly explaining everything that i felt my entire life of if if i just did all of these things then i would be free and I talked to them and I put it away. I, I I tested the waters. I thought maybe this is what it is. I told my boyfriend about it. And I just thought, I don't think I can do this. And I put it away. So I put it away for a while. And that, that was when I was like 21. And then I moved. I left living with my parents. I moved in with my boyfriend at the time. And I still, I put it away. It wasn't, it wasn't there at the forefront of my mind. I tried to talk to more intersex people. That's one important thing to say. At that same time period, I did find an inter- intersex online group. And I tried to join it. And I said, this is this is what I look like. I don't know what I have. What do I do? Was I, was I born intersex? And I was immediately banned from the web forum. And they said, don't you come here and make fun of us. You're just trying to be one of us. Don't you pretend 
to be one of us. And what I what I understand now is that there's a generational divide between those with DSDs who were surgically altered and those who were not. Because I'm talking to a lot of younger people who have DSDs and the majority of them were not surgically altered. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Um, and that's a big divide because for those who were surgically altered, there's a lot of hurt and disdain and I think envy is the correct word for those who have not been. And I will not say that they are not, that they don't deserve to feel that way. They, they absolutely have every right to be hurt and to grieve what they've lost. Um, but I tried joining an intersex community and I was rejected. There was one woman who was intersex that spoke with me. She did have congenital adrenal hyperplasia. But it was hard because she was surgically altered and she had a lot of anger about her condition. And I wanted to have acceptance and peace because I can't do anything about it. You know, I mean, I could, you can't, I could go and get a surgery and get it removed, but hey, that, okay, do I really want to do that? Um, so like I said, I put away these feelings that I might be trans, but they came out again. I started looking again. And what were the, if you want to just describe the extenuating circumstances of when mm -hmm. they came back, like, was there a shift in your life, your outer life? I was with my boyfriend that I was living with. And um, I don't know how much I want to talk about it in detail, but in brief, having now no longer been in the relationship, there were a lot of problems. Um he was very emotionally abusive and manipulative and regardless of how he was i went from living with my abusive father who controlled my life and didn't let me date to living with a boyfriend and for anyone male or female if you're going from an abusive house right to a partner you have no time to learn how to just be yourself I didn't know what a boundary was. I didn't know how to be self-sufficient emotionally or even financially, honestly. I'd never had a job before. That was the first time I got a job. Um, I also didn't drive. I still don't drive. I'm, I'm currently learning to drive. Oh, I'm very proud of that fact. Congrats, yeah. I got in a car accident when I was 17 after I got my license, and I never drove since. Oh, okay. um, but I did trauma therapy for it, and I'm in driving school now, and that, that's a really big deal for me. Um, so I was, I was isolated. I was in the middle of nowhere in a small town with my boyfriend who was manipulative and abusive and had some sexual issues that were put upon me. And, um, what I'll say is that I know many D-trans women who say that transitioning becomes easier because you can escape being sexualized. You can escape feeling like a victim of men. You can hide from that. And while I didn't understand that then, I understand that now. I was I was running away from so many things. Um, hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I thought this is this is what would answer everything for me. And even at that time, I didn't, I tried it. I told people I was going to transition. I changed my clothes. I picked out a name. And then I said, I want to get my condition diagnosed. Before I do anything, I don't know if these feelings are from my condition. Can I do anything about it? Because I'm a very analytical, logical person and just jumping to conclusions like that just didn't make sense to me. I want to rule out every possible thing that there is. And I tried. Um, I went to therapy. I made myself go to therapy to talk about my gender dysphoria. You know, so many people say they just want to skip the therapy process. I was like, no, I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to talk about this. And I want to, I want to know why I feel this way and can I change this? But when you talk about it in therapy, they say, well, why do you feel this way? And of course, because I feel like I'm a man, because I feel like I was meant to be born a man, because I feel like I should be, because I never fit in with other girls. Well, of course, I didn't fit in with other girls. I don't, I'm not good at socializing because mm. trauma makes it hard to socialize. And I'm developmentally delayed because I had seizures and I have ADHD and that developmentally like that emotionally delays you but like five years actually they found hmm. um i didn't know i have adhd until around that time too so i did great in school but once i hit college it tanked hard hmm. <laughs> um so I, I tried to get an explanation for why i feel this way before transitioning so i went and i i went to a doctor at a hospital and I said, like, I want to get this diagnosed. And they sent me to a couple different doctors. I went to a gynecologist and they had me do a, um, a uter uh, I don't know the right word, internal ultrasound. They stick a wand up your hoo-ha and look around. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and it looked like I had ovaries. They thought maybe I have some cysts there. So I went to the gynecologist and she said, oh, you have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I said, you're not born with that. I've had my clitoris since I was born. I don't think that's what it is. Because generally with PCOS, you won't develop clitoromegaly, if at all, until you're, you hit puberty. And even then, from my understanding, they don't develop as much as I did. Um, so I ended up seeing a pediatric endocrinologist. And she was the uh, person who figured it out. She's She's the one who looks at people who have these conditions because typically children are the ones they catch with it now they don't they don't see it when you're an adult unless you don't have your period and i had my period so she looked over everything and she ran all the tests and nothing really came back i didn't have cah um some of my hormone markers were off so what we the only thing we found was that my ninth chromosome is inverted and I am not a genetic specialist, but here's what I know. The ninth chromosomal inversion is the most common chromosomal inversion that humans will experience. It's the most prevalent. I think it's, 
I'm not going to say what percent because I don't remember, <laughs> but it's most common. And generally at that time, they thought it didn't cause any issues. But since then, and even since now, they've found more studies that it's heavily correlated with genital ambiguity, um, men not being able to produce sperm, uh, females who can't get pregnant or suffer um, spontaneous abortion, miscarriages. So reproductive issues and other DSD-type symptoms. So what she ended up diagnosing me with was disorder of sexual development not otherwise specified due to inversion of chromosome nine. <laughs> Sorry, Which is a really long way of saying Yeah, it's not a romantic term. Isn't there a Latin no, phrase no. that can just put all that together? Yeah, so so I just say DSD INV9. Okay. Um you sound like a spaceship. And thank you. That's cool. <laughs> um what I ended up doing, so I also had a lot of body hair. And one of the things I always noticed is I had less body hair than my brother. So I actually told my dad, I wasn't in a lot of contact with my father at this time. I told him, please send my brother to an endocrinologist and get him tested. This could be genetic. And it did turn out that my brother had low testosterone and he has to take testosterone shots now. I don't know if he also has this chromosomal inversion, but the chances are probably pretty high. He was also born premature. You know, he's autistic. He had other severe developmental delays. Hmm. Um, so it's likely that it's genetic and we both have similar issues just on one side of the spectrum. I have it on the female spectrum. He has it on the male spectrum. Hmm. And as far as I know, I don't know anyone else with my specific condition. So um, if I have ever talked to anyone in a D-trans or intersex server, they know who I am now because I'm the only one with inversion of chromosome 9 talking Always about it as far as I know. And body yeah. hair, um, male typical um Facial hair. I had a mustache. I had chin hairs. You know, nothing, hmm. nothing. You know, I don't. I didn't have a full beard, but I had enough where I got teased for it, and I had to sure. shave in high school, and you know, all that fun shame that women yeah. get for just having some masculine masculinization, and that that is really difficult. You know, no one, even if people didn't see me down there, there were all these other things. You know, and I, I had some minor hair on my breast. Like I said, my breasts didn't develop when I was a teenager very much. When I first took birth control, my breasts actually grew. Um, <laughs> like they actually grew. Like they they were hurting. I actually went to a pregnant woman I knew, and I was like, "Did your breasts hurt when you when they grew while pregnant?" She's like, "Oh my god, yeah." And I didn't know that. Like when when teenagers' breasts grow, like that's normal. They actually grow and they hurt. And like I had never gone through that. I actually had like lumps. I had to lay like moved. Yeah, I know it's a lot of details, but for me, it was so bizarre i took estrogen and now my boobs are growing it was weird um and uh so i got diagnosed and the doctor pretty much told me i could go whichever direction i wanted if i wanted to be male if i wanted to be female i could do whatever I wanted. um and i definitely embody that idea of like i'm intersex i'm an open book i can pick my path i'm gonna choose my own adventure and at that time i was like well i want to try to fix this and she said, if you take estrogen, that can lower your androgens. That might help some ear dysphoria. I said, yeah, let's do it. So I, I went on estrogen birth control, which I had done before. And that was a bad idea. It turns out me and estrogen, which I want to say estrogen birth control or additional estrogen, estrogen in my own body, I seem to be fine with. But additional estrogen 
is very bad for me. It causes a lot of mental health issues. It makes me suicidal. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, actually, I tried taking it again, and it gives me oral migraines, which is a big risk factor for stroke on estrogen birth control. Okay. That's where you see like flashing lights okay. and things while you're having a migraine. Uh, it's big, big risk factors. So I can't take estrogen at all anymore. Um, but I really wanted this to work. So I stayed on estrogen birth control and I, I developed an eating disorder because I really wanted to be a woman. And I was like, well, maybe if I'm thin, women look thin. Cause I grew up during, I think they called it heroin chic when women just wanted to be twigs, you know, that's yeah, what yeah. I grew up during. So I had this weird twisted idea that for me to be more womanly, I should be thinner. And I got down to, oh, it's so disgusting to say I got down to 83 pounds. Oh, wow. Which even at my height is is not good, and I was I was doing a lot of self harm then, um, cutting myself and all kinds of terrible things, and that that's probably one of the darkest parts of my life, truly, because I could have been very close to dying purely from my eating disorder, and um, I ended up going off the estrogen. I went on Depo-Provera for a while. But the biggest change is I moved. I moved from the rural city to a moderately sized city. I don't want to say where I live. I'd like to say, yeah. But um, there's a little bit more culture, more people. Yeah, a little bit more liberal, more people, more access to stuff. And I was like, estrogen didn't work for me. So that must mean I'm ill. Because estrogen is a female hormone. So because me and my partner, my then husband at the time agreed, like, we're going to try the female thing. And if that doesn't work, then it must be because I'm trans and because I I was meant to be a boy. Like, that's really how I thought about it. It's so weird now that I couldn't just accept like, no, I'm just a woman with a DSD. That's fine. But I still had all this trauma. And just because I changed my birth control didn't mean that eating disorder and the dissociation and the self-harm went away, you know? And so I moved and that move was incredibly stressful because I was getting a new job. I was in a new place. Um, I was living with my partner's parents at the time. We both were before we could get our own place because of financial difficulties, which was very stressful. And my partner and I were like, okay, I'm going to transition, but I still didn't start medically transitioning. I was just like, I know this is what I'm going to do. And I debated it for so long. I talked with my best friend, like, and this was my best friend since high school. She's known me longer than anybody. Like, am I going to make the right decision? What what happens if I regret this decision? What if I don't like this? What do I do? I guess I just don't, I guess I just change, stop doing it if it's the wrong decision. But how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? And no one could give me the answer to that question. And no one can, you know, like I said, I tried to go to therapy to get the answer. And I knew I had trauma and I knew I had, I had dissociation. And when I went to the doctors and said, I want to transition, no one no one stopped me. Like I went to the doctor here and his, <laughs> he, he, he says he is the gender expert in this city because at the time he was the only one transitioning people. And, oh, he was so proud. I was his only intersex patient. He thought it was so cool. Um. Like a little trophy. Which is an interesting way to respond. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like a trophy. Like yeah, you're the yeah. rare Pokemon that he got. <laughs> yep. And I came in with all my medical paperwork to show here's my DSD. I want to transition. 
I'll go to a therapy session if you want me to. He said, oh, no, it's fine. You don't need to do that. You have a DSD. We'll, we'll, we'll get you hooked up. Okay. <laughs> and at the time, that's what I wanted. So that's what I did. And my, my path to getting on testosterone was very bumpy because I'm terrified of needles. Mm. So like I tried creams and that didn't work. And, and the, the androgel is expensive. So I couldn't do that. And then I finally started injections at like, uh, age 26 at 2016, but I was too scared to do them myself. So I was actually paying to go to a clinic to get them done every single week. I cannot tell you how much money I spent on it, Benjamin. Like I spent so much money to do this. It sucks. Hmm. Um, and it's so much cheaper to do them at home, but intermuscular injections are difficult. And I finally did them myself at home, but I had to take Xanax every single time. And every single time it was a panic attack to get it done. Oh, are you, do, do you have a talking therapist at all, a counselor at all during this? Currently. Uh, during, during the, this? During the, the jabbing period. No, no. Okay. So there's nobody there to ask you questions about the cause of anxiety might be that you don't want to be doing this to yourself. No. Right. And at the time I wouldn't have thought that either because I thought this is what I need. This is going to fix everything for me. And for a while it totally did. Like I was like, this is the right thing for me. And so I got on tea and I transitioned and I loved it. I was growing facial hair. My back was changing places. Mm. My voice deepened. I know my voice is really high, high pitched now. I am incredibly lucky as a D trans woman to have a feminine voice still because I sounded like an 11 year old before I transitioned, I would make phone calls and people would think I was a little kid. It was so embarrassing, especially at my height. Um, hmm. I miss my old voice. I really do because yeah. that was my voice. Hmm. Even if, even if I still sound like a woman, I miss my voice and I'm never going to get that back. And that's, that's hard. Hmm. Um, but I, I, I was happy. What about the uh, emotion? And sorry, you don't have to answer this, but yeah. again, it does affect libido or yeah. at least what you think about in the world, how you see the world and, and the emotional engagement with the world. So do you mind just briefly, to whatever degree yeah. you feel comfortable, just... My, my sexuality? Well, not, not your sexuality, but just how you engage with the world. How did yeah. testosterone make you feel? Uh, so much energy. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, you said, you said libido and that was a, a big thing. I have a high libido even as a, for a woman and on testosterone, it was painful. There's really no other way to put it. It was difficult. Um, and I was still with the same partner that we had sexual issues together. He had sexual issues. Hmm. Um, at that point in time, it accepted the fact that I'm just bisexual, um, and I was fine with that. You know, I, I was sure I was a lesbian in high school and college. And I, I think a lot of that was because I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to explore it. If I had been allowed to explore that path, I may have realized I was bisexual earlier. But uh, I was also scared of men. So, mm -hmm. but I was with a man, complicated. Mm -hmm. I, I felt energetic. I felt happy. I felt, um, but it caused problems too. Like I couldn't sleep very well. My T levels were incredibly high. Like a normal range for men is like 300 to, I think, 900 or 1,000. And at one point, I tested at like 1,200. 
And I went to my doctor and I was like, hey, that's really high. Should I lower this? And he's like, no, you don't have to. Can I? I'd like to. I'm not sleeping very well. And so I did. This doctor is frankly incredibly incompetent. Um, Testosterone prescriptions are a class one drug. You have to have a signed prescription in paper. You can't mail it. It's a steroid, you know, it's it's heavily controlled. He signed my prescription in a highlighter once. You're supposed to sign it in blue or black ink. Mm. It was the, I gave it to the pharmacist and they're like, I'll call the doctor. So he didn't really care much about my health so much as just transitioning people and being proud yeah. of himself. Yeah. I think that he was saving all these people. What about... Uh, your temper and your depression and your anxiety too, and your relationship and your relationship to your body. Did your dissociation go down? My dissociation ebbed and flowed because it depend on what happened in my life because it's brought on by trauma. So if I was in circumstances that triggered me, my dissociation would skyrocket. Um, my anxiety never went away. It was so severe. I, I had so many physical symptoms of anxiety that I didn't know then. My heart would race. I felt like I was dying. I'd be laying on the couch begging my boyfriend to come back home from seeing his parents because I don't feel good. I had night terrors laying in bed. I That had been a regular issue, reoccurring issue for me is whenever I try to go to sleep, I would be shocked with the feeling of I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. My heart's going to stop. I'm going to die. And I would bolt out of bed with my heart racing. And I, I know now those were night terrors. I didn't know that then. And that it was trauma. It was all trauma. And none of it went away. And I just didn't know what any of it was. And the inciting incident was, you know, I, I'm, I'm brushing over a lot of the issues with my boyfriend because I don't want to talk about him. I, I don't know. It's so sensitive. Mm. But... Um, he ended up cheating on me and I wanted nothing to do with him after that point. It okay. broke everything. And, and I broke, I, I just broke completely. And I was like, I need to go to therapy. I had been in and out of therapy my whole life. I'd seen like seven different therapists at that point, because when my parents found out I was cutting as a teenager, I went to therapy. I went to therapy when the doctor saw myself harm injuries and was like, you need to go to therapy and I was only weighing 83 pounds. You need to go to therapy. Um, but I went to therapy and I am still seeing that therapist today. So from 2017 until now, I am still seeing the exact same therapist I am because he saved my life fully, completely. And, you know, when I first went to therapy, it was a lot of here's how to set a boundary. Here's how to be emotionally self-sufficient. Here's how to self-soothe. Because I didn't know these things. I didn't know how to set a boundary with anybody. Uh, Ex-husband is talking to me about how pissed he is about my relationship and leaving him. Now I know how to say, you shouldn't be talking to me about this. I'm not the right person to discuss this with. I can't emotionally help you through our divorce right now. <laughs> Please speak to someone else. And I could do that. I didn't know how to do that before. <laughs> and it, uh, it was really life-changing and learning how to be assertive and not passive 
learning how to stand up for myself and not just take what I was given, learning that I am worthy of love and not just whatever love comes to me, but the good kind of love, the love that is is not along with emotional manipulation and threats held over your head and the sense of if I just do one thing wrong, I'm going to lose this. You know what I mean? Mm. And love from myself because, and I want to say this so that I hope anyone watching this who's ever felt this way hears it. Love from myself because the only person who can love you truly is yourself. Everyone else could leave you because they could die. They could change their minds. But I am the only person that can deeply, fully, and completely know and love myself. Hmm. And learning that was such a big deal uh, for me because I never had that from my parents. My love was always conditional upon how I behaved and or not given. Um, my mother was very emotionally neglectful. Um, but I was still trans at that point. I hadn't hit peak detransition. <laughs> um, for a couple of years, I was single. I was dating people. I was trying to come out of this divorce and emotionally put myself back together. And what 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 um, set things in motion was I was in a relationship with a woman. And we tried having sex. And I kept feeling incredibly uncomfortable. And I kept dissociating. And I didn't know it was dissociating at that time, really. I knew I had a dissociative disorder because I, I finally learned what dissociation was. But I didn't put two and two together that dissociation and gender dysphoria can look alike. I thought some of my dissociation was from gender dysphoria. I still believed that. But I tried. we tried having sex one time, and I'll just be graphic. I tried using a strap-on, and it was the first and only time I tried using a strap-on. And I just immediately like broke. I couldn't, um, I had to stop. I didn't want to see her anymore. We weren't in a very long relationship. I was having constant dissociation, just constant derealization. The world around me didn't feel real. I didn't feel real. I was just, and I went to my therapist and I was like, something's very wrong. And he said, you've never talked about your childhood do you want to talk more about your childhood because i'd never talked about it at that point i'd only talked about this relationship that i'd been in and i was scared too i didn't want to talk about my childhood um but i did and i started doing this type of trauma therapy called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing which is shorthanded as emdr and some studies say that it is no more effective than exposure therapy, but I will absolutely say that it saved my life and changed my life completely. And I have recommended this to numerous people, and they have said the same thing. They have said that if you had not told me to do EMDR, I would still be like I was. And what I realized was I had been, I know it sounds silly, but I didn't know. I didn't remember. I had always suspected that I had been sexually abused at some point in my childhood. But between my memories and everything, I didn't have a clear picture. And regardless of what happened, I felt 
I felt the impact of it. I also want to give a shout out to a book. Uh, my therapist gave me a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. He is a leading researcher on trauma and its impacts on the body, on the mind and the brain. And I read this book before we did any of our therapy, and it was like a shock. How much trauma affects you? How it affects your ability to socialize, to make eye contact, to feel at home in your body. Um, it affected so much. And so I did this therapy and I started realizing I was sexually abused and realizing that there are parts of me that are female inside of me that I was rejecting and hiding and burying. And it's cruel to keep that buried to those parts of me. It's, um, hmm. I'm sorry, I get so emotional about it. It's, it's cruel to not let me be my full self and to just keep those parts of me buried because of the trauma and to not let those parts of me heal and be able to live. And when I realized that I came into therapy and I think I, I said, I think I need to do transition. I think I can't do this anymore. I don't want to take my shots. I don't want this beard. This is not what I'm supposed to be. And it was terrifying because I thought that I had done the thing to save myself. I thought I had done this thing to um, heal myself and protect myself. And it was, I'm sorry, I'm getting so emotional. It was not what I was supposed to do. And I felt so, it, it was the biggest moment of my life, but also the scariest because I thought I had made the right decision and i had fought to make the right decision too i want to make that clear to anyone who's listening i i fought i went to therapists i tried to talk about my trauma i asked them why i'm feeling this way people even said maybe you have trauma but no one said maybe that's why you have gender dysphoria and i i i felt so hurt by the system and betrayed and i don't want to blame anyone else because i was an adult I was 26 years old and I made that choice myself and I will accept the fact that I made that choice, but I, I know that there are other people out there who are significantly younger than me who are making the same choice today without as much work as I did to make that choice. And they're, I won't say everyone's hurting themselves. I, I think that for some people transition may be the right decision, but, um, it hurts me deeply to know there are other people making the choices that I did because while I want to believe that the choice I made was what I needed at that time to take care of myself, because I believe we are always doing what we think is best to take care of ourselves and to feel safe. I wish it wasn't the choice I made. I wish that I had been given other options and other outlets and a method of healing that didn't involve changing my body um you're um thank you for sharing and it's totally fine to be emotional you're making me emotional but um Sorry. no don't be uh your your therapist there are this gets a little political um there are yeah. laws in place that discourage anything yeah. other than affirmation could be the case yeah. that 
your therapist didn't want to touch this or couldn't touch this without risking his license. So when you did breach it, do you feel that he was able to address it without something hanging over him? My therapist is amazing. I will actually even say that my therapist is transgender. Um, He was a butch lesbian when I started seeing him and he has since come out as trans. I don't know if he intends to go on hormones. It's none of my business. We have a client therapist relationship and um, he is still the best therapist I've ever seen. So I will not judge him for his life decisions. Um, But he was, he said, if that's what you think you need to do for yourself, you do what you need to do. He never tried to stop me or say that I had internalized transphobia, which I know some, some people come up against. Um, he fully supported me doing whatever I felt would heal me. And he, he did tell me to take things slow. He said, don't label anything, which I thought was the best answer because when I got out of it too, and I wanted to transition, I again thought I was a lesbian because I was pushing back on my feelings for men because I had just gone through trauma therapy for sexual abuse. I don't want to be around men. They're terrifying. What if they hurt me again? Hmm. I'm a woman now. What if they, you know, all of those feelings, Hmm. I didn't know how to interact with men as a woman again yet. So I said, don't, don't label anything. Why do you have to be a woman right now? Why can't you just, if you don't like your beard, shave it. If you don't want to take any of your injections, don't take them, but don't label anything yet. Just, just try things and see how you feel. Don't rush into anything. And I just wanted to rush into everything. <laughs> I wanted it to make sense. But he um, he has been so supportive of it. And that, you know, especially now that he's transgender or whatever he is, I'm not even sure that's his business, not mine. But he's been supportive. And I, I saw even recently they are trying to do a federal legislation involving um, banning conversion therapy. And I do wonder what that means. And I wish they would be explicit because I think it's a, incredibly important to assess people for trauma. Um, My opinion is that regardless of whether they do transition or not, everyone deserves to be happy. Everyone deserves to be free of their trauma because after I did EMDR, I didn't have night terrors anymore. I can sleep and not have panic attacks. (laughs) That's, that's amazing. I I don't, um, I don't feel paranoid. I, I can have sex without dissociating. I couldn't do that before. I mean, it was it was a work in progress. When I first met my current partner, uh, I'd have to stop because I would dissociate and we'd have to take a moment. But I have the most wonderful partner in the world. He stops. He waits. We never have to do more than I'm comfortable with. And it is it was never a problem between us. Um, so I, I also was incredibly fortunate to have a healing relationship to progress through. Um, and my therapist has been incredibly supportive. I told him I was doing this interview and I've told him even some of my opinions on different things. And he'll listen to me complain about uh, trans politics and I don't get kicked out of therapy. <laughs> I know that's ridiculous to say, but it's I have been terrified to say some of my opinions to my therapist because some of these things that I believe now could be, you know, get you canceled on Twitter. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And I'm even, I I was scared to do this, honestly. I had to talk to my boyfriend and like, will you be okay if we get doxxed? You know, I I hope that doesn't happen, but it's like, you have to, um, you have to be prepared when you're talking about these things. Um, 
Yeah. So the, the detransition was difficult. Do, do you have a question? Um, well, I, I do, but you brought up the transition so and the difficulty. So did you miss the testosterone? You're like, dang it. No. I wanted that power. No, no. Okay. I mean, if anything, I felt tired. Um, what I will recommend to anyone who's detransitioning is to do it slow. You want to ease off of it. You need to let your hormones rebalance because it is exhausting. Uh, the one, the biggest change is emotionally. Um, I actually, one of the reasons why I wanted to stop it is because I felt like I wasn't making progress in therapy. We were doing EMDR and I couldn't make progress. I was, I was, I felt blocked and I stopped the testosterone and I could finally cry. I think I've seen other people you've interviewed say the same thing as they could finally cry because you can't cry on testosterone very well. It just blocks it. You don't, you feel the emotions, but it doesn't come out. It's you're emotionally constipated. And I could finally cry and make progress in therapy because I could cry and I could let out that pain. And so stopping testosterone felt like a point of healing on my journey. I was finally allowed to feel myself. And I felt like I was, um, I talk about myself like I'm in parts because it helps me understand myself. You know, there's parts of me who've been through the trauma. There's parts of me who were on testosterone and felt like they were male. And there's parts of me who, um, felt like I had to live up to a certain idea of femininity to be a woman. And stopping testosterone, I felt like I could finally invite those female parts of me, the 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 little girl who went through so much pain. I could bring her back in and say, I love you and you are a part of me and I'm not rejecting you anymore. And um I mean that's not just about being trans or detrans. That's Everyone, everyone has a moment in their childhood where they felt hurt and rejected by a parent or a figure in their life. And to be able to look to the little part of you who was hurt and say, that wasn't right. They didn't love you the way you're supposed to be loved, but I'm going to. It's life changing. It really is. Mm -hmm. Um, If I could segue back to talking about my DSD. Because detransitioning and my DSD was a big deal too, because I used being trans as my frame of reference to understand being intersex. Um, And so I had to reassess that whole narrative because I built this narrative of I'm trans because I'm intersex. Well, if I'm not trans anymore, what does that mean about my body? Mm Mm-hmm. And when I detransitioned, I came upon a lot of gender critical circles, which many detrans women do, because you come out of it with anger. I, I could make the flowchart of detransitioning. You come out of it angry, and you hate men, and you either are or you think you're a lesbian, but either way, you hate men, and you don't want to be a man anymore. That's certainly not everybody. But gender critical thoughts and ideas become a very big way to frame things because you feel betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as trans people and trans ideology and gender theory made me believe that being intersex made me trans, um, because I will say that um, one of the ideas that they put forward, I just want to talk about briefly, is they will often say that gender is not a binary, sex is not a binary. Because DSDs are out there and intersex people exist, okay. and they will. This is the, this use... is the queer theory, trans uh, rights yeah, activist yeah, 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 frame yeah, of race. Yeah. Yes. 
they'll try to use intersex people to justify their transition. And frankly, I think my body has nothing to do with a um, dyadic person's transition. And dyadic means non-intersex or they do not have a DSD. Oh, this is the cis. This is the this is your special word for like this is the yeah cis the basically trait. dyadic. Yeah. Okay, cool. intersex dyadic. So my my body, my being, and any other intersex person's being has nothing to do with your transition because you're not intersex. If you're intersex, it's different. I have friends who were raised female; they were raised girls, and then they hit puberty and they have male puberty. How the hell do you deal with that? Okay, you you transition. But that's different. Every person that I've talked to who's who's has a DSD and has done that, they feel trans because that's the only language they have to talk about their experience. But they're intersex first because that's why they're that way. It's completely different. Um, so I used their frame of reference first, and then I I went to gender critical theories, and you go there, and the way they talk about like Semenya Castor. And people with, pardon me, androgen and sensitivity syndrome is disgusting. Like, well, they have XY chromosomes, so they're men. You, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Or, you know, I don't think they would call me a man because I have XX chromosomes. Um, but the way it makes me feel is I do not have typical female genitalia. Am I not a woman? And I have to, I have to deal with that on my own. I have, it's been a journey, hmm. but I, I eventually found that gender critical theory also did not serve me because even if they would accept me as a female, if they're not accepting my brothers and sisters of DSD for who they are, I can't support them because people with DSD is go through enough shit in their lives. They don't need politics telling us that we are or aren't one thing we just want to live our fucking lives and not be policed like if anyone doesn't want to be policed by gender rules it's these people who are growing up being told our genitals are wrong or yeah. our hormones are wrong yeah yeah so this is the political part of the conversation where you're just talking yeah. about the the reigning ideology, um, the trans or queer theory ideology was useful at some point, but then just distilling, and I'm sorry to distill or Ben Splain your situation. Yeah, you have to. You, you reached a point where you were blocked specifically with the testosterone. Get off that. You get to move forward. You find that the whole trans identity starts to crumble. Then you have the gender critical, um, which is just a, a good tool to deconstruct the trans ideology, but it doesn't seem like it's serving you positively. So where do you go from there? Or do yeah. you get to be free of all ideology and just be this perfect postmodern subject floating through the world? Can anyone really be free? <laughs> I, I do think gender critical theory served me in a lot of ways because I did have internalized misogyny. Um, I did have internalized biphobia or whatever it was when I thought I was a lesbian. I, I don't know how you, I don't know how to categorize that. Um, but only this year really did I get to the point where I said, how do I, how do I integrate my genitals into my being? Because I got to a point where I accept that I'm a woman, but for me, I'm 
and I will not speak for anyone else who has genitals like mine, but I can't look at it and see female genitals. I just don't because I've been told my whole life that's not what women look like. And I won't say that I'm not a woman, but it's just like I said, when I was a teenager, I felt othered and I felt alone and those feelings don't go away. And that's what I was trying to process. Okay. And talking with intersex people and intersex advocates is really what helped me because I was able to come to a point where I could just say, this is just my body. It's not going to change. It's not going to go away. My genitals are never going to change. They're always going to be like this. And I always have been like this, but that doesn't change who I feel I am. I don't need to be, I, I don't like gender ideology, but I feel like it is applicable in some circumstances because I can say I feel like a woman, even if my body isn't fully typically female. Mm-hmm. So I came to a point of view where my gender is woman, but my sex is intersex. And I mean, I'll, I'll like asterisk that with, I fully acknowledge that I'm female. I don't think I'm some magical third gender or third so, sex yeah, that yeah, yeah, breaks yeah. the binary. I'm still yeah. female, but I'm an atypical female. And for me, that atypicalness is very defining of who I am in my body because how you have sex is very important. How you feel pleasure is important. How you see yourself naked in the mirror is important. And um, unless I get surgery, and even if I got surgery, I would still be a woman who had surgery. It it is it is a part of me, and that and that's what I've come to is um, I'm I'm intersex. I have a DSD, but it doesn't have to define me in any larger sense. Um, I mean, it's still impactful. I mean, like I, I talk to my younger intersex friends about dating and it's so hard because um, mm. I, I will not go into a situation without telling someone, you know, if I, if I think I'm going to have a sexual encounter, I'll go, hey, just so you know, I was born a little different, not because I think anything bad will happen, but because you just, you don't want to surprise somebody, you never know. And I think it's fair to tell people before they get into a situation, if they're expecting one thing and it's a little different, um, it's fair to warn them. Hmm. But I, I I have more wholly integrated, I think, myself. And I've, I've done even more trauma therapy since then. I've done EMDR for issues with my parents. And um, hmm. I've reconnected with my family in some ways. So I've been able to talk to my family. And that's where I talked to my aunt and asked you know, was I born different? She said, yep. And that, you know, cause I felt like, well, maybe I don't actually have a DSD. Maybe I just made it up and it's all in my head. A lot of people have imposter syndrome, even when they're, you know, quite literally genitals are right in front of them. They feel like it's all in their head. But my aunt said, no, you were, you were born different. They wanted to cut it off. And if I can thank my parents for anything, it's that they didn't mm-hmm. uh, have me surgically altered. Um, yeah, it, it it was a process. I mean, I am I am condensing. Uh, I I detransitioned in at the end of 2018, so I was on testosterone for almost three years, and I've been detransitioned for almost three years, and I'm condensing all of that into a oh, yeah. you know, over an hour conversations. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah, yeah. That can well, be said. I mean, that's what um, that's what blogging and um, book writing is for, yeah. <laughs> or starting. I, 
long form uh, <laughs> confessional vlog. I don't have any medium right now. I'm, I actually made a Twitter account just for this. So people can tweet me or message me if they just want to after I do this interview. Right. Just, just for this. Okay. Just for this right here. Um, because I'm not really on social media, but I've been having a lot of anger and frustration at, frankly, the trans community because I'm hurt still. Yeah. And my friends that I reach out to are like, you need an outlet. You need yeah. a vent. So this is my step one is just putting myself out there in the biggest possible way because I... Mm. I, I watched your channel when I was detransitioning, when I started, and I saw your interviews, and I think that was the first place I saw other detrans women, and I was like, oh my god, there's other people doing this too, and there's this person talking to them and giving them a voice. You know, I have to thank you so much for um, doing this, because, um, I don't know, you've come full circle. You've been doing these interviews, and now you've helped someone on their detransition path too, so thank you. For that, you know, I, I've seen some D-trans people like, why is this cis male talking to D-trans people? Like, who gives a shit? You know, you're giving people an audience. Well, they're assuming my cisness. Jesus, I never brought that up. Right? <laughs> Which, there's so much that could be said about that with DSDs because um, you can't see if someone has a DSD. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah. Am, I, am I cis? You know? Um. Yeah, I've run into that problem on my channel, specifically with certain very, um, I guess, Turvin, but a very specific brand of Turvin. Very yeah. zealous brand, but um, that's all in the past. Um, they have issues, and, and you're female anyway, so they, they tend to be a little kinder to females, um, as long as you don't yeah. get in their way. But that, that again, that's all in the past. <laughs> um, are you um so I guess this is this is a very uh it's kind of like a very particular moment you standing up speaking out and um potentially being a resource for others um I had two questions but one I don't want to dox you I just I keep on and this might be some sort of patriarchal way of thinking but I'm just wondering as you're doing all this internal work is your relationship to like the world and work and finding a purpose outside of yourself is that we're, we're is that going in a certain direction and maybe this is part of it maybe maybe you have a power of communication or therapy that you you've not yet um you know, that you can give to others that you're not yet um aware of i'm just wondering i think that this is a important outlet for me. I don't think it's my sole purpose, but going through therapy and healing myself has made it, if I could just do trauma advocacy alone, I would, mm, because yeah. having gone through it, I think everyone in the world, no matter who you are, deserve, like I said, you deserve to be happy. Mm. You deserve to heal and love yourself fully. And so many people aren't aware of what's out there and what to look for in a good therapist and all, all of these things. And I, I do, I think a lot about just being an advocate for therapy and talking about that and that it beyond D trans and trans, that is important to me. And uh, I have thought about how can I be an advocate for mental health? Because I think that is key to so many problems in our world is mental well-being for people who are transitioning or detransitioning or 
we could get into some growing up areas. Yeah. Yeah. But my goal has always been to be happy mm-hmm. and not just to be happy, but to be at peace because happiness can be a little, sometimes it can be a little um, hedonistic. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as I love chocolate, I can't eat chocolate all day long. So it's it's just to be about peace. I 2022 has been my year of finding a lot of peace in my life. I have started exercising and weightlifting and losing weight and busting my fears of driving. And hmm. um, I went rock climbing recently, and I'm terrified of heights. So that was also a big deal for me. I, I normally don't get out of my comfort zone very well. So and this is getting out of my comfort zone. So um, hmm. I think challenging yourself to find your sense of peace. It's not always in your comfort zone. And, you know, for me, my comfort zone was I'm trans and I'm going to transition. And I had to bust out of that. And I had to bust out of so many comfort zones to find peace. And that that is hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, you, uh, you pack a punch. And you're, you're, you. you're absolutely a gorgeous soul. You're just absolutely just shining. But thank you for um, um, sharing that light. You're welcome. Do you have any other questions? Um, I don't think so. I think that this is enough for now. <laughs> like I get to process a lot. Um, yeah. But, it, but if you want to, but it's your, interview. yeah, it, that that's always open. And um, is there anything else that you think that for this interview, you would like to say um, to, to people um, maybe about like, how do you know what kind of therapy uh, or how do you know how, how to find the right therapist? Oh goodness. Um, If you don't like your therapist at first, get another one. If you don't like that one, get another one. It's a working relationship. You need to um, both have a therapist that listens to you, but also challenges you. My therapist challenges me. He makes me answer the difficult questions and he pushes me out of my comfort zone. And you can't just have someone who listens and says, how does that make you feel? You got to have someone who says, what are you going to do about that? Um, and just keep, don't, if you don't like therapy the first time, do it again. If you tried therapy six years ago and hated it, try it again. Um, read the body keeps the score. Um, and if I can say anything to people who maybe are considering detransitioning, while I wish that I hadn't done it, I think the biggest message I always want to give to anyone is that you are not going to be broken or a freak or disgusting or mutilated. You, you may feel that way, you know, especially I'm, I'm significantly lucky that I I didn't go through surgeries, but if your peace is what you want, it's worth it. And, um, it's scary to start the process. But you can do it. Detransitioning is not impossible. It it is not it is not a point of no return to transition. I I wish that less people had to. That's what I would truly hope for is that less people will 
have to detransition either because they don't transition or they get caught for trauma sooner or because they are truly happy as trans. If that's the case, good for them. Everyone deserves happiness. Um, but it, there's, there's no point of no return in life. Hmm. You can always find peace again. Well, Theo, this is very clarifying, like your name suggested. So I'm going to wrap up the recording part of the interview. Thank you so much for reaching out and Thank for you. speaking speaking out too. Thank you very much. <laughs>